Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Advent and Isaiah. It's our hope that as we spend time in this ancient text, we will get to know Jesus better this season. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all again. I remember one Christmas, I wanted a Tyco Command Control Set. On the screen, any other Gen Xers in here remember these? Like a remote control car, a little car with a metal peg underneath. It had one way it went and one speed remote control. It was a modern engineering marvel. And I wanted this so badly. I had to wait for it and wait for it. I would scour the Sears and Montgomery Ward and Kay's Merchandise Mark catalogs. Anybody remember those too? Yeah, I would scour those looking at this this remote control set from every angle because I wanted it so badly. And then Christmas Day came and I opened up all the presents under the tree and I didn't get the gift that I longed for. And then I kid you not, it's like a movie. It's like Ralphie and the Red Rider shotgun. There behind the tree was one gift remaining. And I opened it and it was the Tyco command control set that I had so badly wanted and so badly waited for. Now, maybe you've experienced something like that, or maybe you have kids now and they start talking about Christmas in August, right? My kids have been looking forward to Christmas for for months. Our youngest has asked on more than one occasion if we could skip the month of November entirely, They have this longing, right? This expectation, and we don't grow out of that. We don't grow out of that. None of us are all that good at waiting. And today begins the season of the Christian year. You've already heard about it. It's called Advent. If you're following in your notes, Advent is a Latin term that means coming or arrival. It's a season of waiting and longing and expectation and hope. And Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas. And personally, I found by practicing Advent, it takes my focus off of the consumerism of the season as in the busyness of the season and allows me to wait with purpose and intentionality. Our, our family began reading an Advent devotional last night, and in the introduction, the author said this. She said this. I, I just thought this was so great. She said, we all suffer from soul amnesia. Like you, I must remind myself each year who Jesus is and why his birth is so miraculous. And then listen, this is so good. Not because my mind doesn't know but because my heart ceases to be amazed. That's why we practice Advent. It allows us to intentionally look forward to celebrating the first Advent of Jesus on December 25th when he came as a baby and wait for his second Advent, his second coming to make all things new, to put everything back the way it was originally created to be. If you're following in your notes, we live between the advents of Jesus. We live between the two advents. And we believe here at Cherry Hills that Advent can change our perspective this season. We believe that so much that each year we mark this season as a church family through Sunday teachings, 
And today we begin a four-week series called Advent in Isaiah, where we'll be looking at the words of the prophet and this ancient text and what they teach us about Jesus. And Steve already mentioned this. Our creative team has created a beautiful practice guide this year. You can pick those up on your way out. But I also want to let you know that there is a digital companion to this online. If you go to our website, you can see this on the screen of where to click to access the Advent Guide. And that'll take you to the landing page where you can access this entire guide and then some daily companion elements as well. But we believe this guide. We believe this guide can help you this season spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. So today on this first week of Advent, we're gonna focus on the hope we have in Jesus. And as a reminder, Hope is not just wishful thinking. We've talked about that in the first Thessalonians series. If you're following on your notes, hope is confidence in the person and promises of Jesus. It's not wishful thinking. It's confidence in the person and promises of Jesus. That's why we're a people of hope. So I wanna invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible or a digital device with you, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. Isaiah chapter seven can be found on page 558 of those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. But it would be beneficial to have God's word open in front of you. You can take some notes, circle things, whatever the spirit might be saying to you. Before we look at this scripture, let me provide just a little bit of context so we can put ourselves in the story and know where we are in God's story. If you're following in your notes, Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years. I want to put a map on the screen because at the time of Isaiah, the nation of Israel was a divided kingdom, right? The the north consisted of 10 tribes and it was called Israel and the southern kingdom consisted of two tribes and it was called Judah and Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom and he spent a lot of time in the capital city of Jerusalem speaking on behalf of God to four different kings, And what we have to know is that Judah and Israel were not always divided into two nations. In fact, they were one people and they were God's chosen people. They were chosen by God to be a blessing to all of the nations, but they turned a deaf ear to the Lord. And at the time of Isaiah, Judah was a land of darkness and hopelessness. The people were crushed under all sorts of pressures, psychological, geopolitical. They are looking everywhere for answers. They're turning to themselves. They're turning to their neighbors. Their stories where they turn to mediums and spiritualists. And things just kept getting worse. And it's into this darkness that Isaiah reignites an ember of hope. The Jewish people had always had a belief that God would one day send a unique king from the family line of King David. And this king would bring God's blessings to the nations of the world. This is familiar language. He would proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. They longed for this unique king. 
But I imagine during this time that people are looking around and they're thinking to themselves, well, this is not how I thought things would be. And in their waiting, they lost hope. And sometimes in our waiting, we lose hope too. And Isaiah reignites this hope, and he does that by foretelling of a rescuer, a savior. And isn't it true that sometimes we just need to be reminded of what's true because the lies we hear in our head and that we believe are so loud. And Isaiah reminds God's people of the hope they can have in him and in his promises. More than any other prophet in the Old Testament, if you're following in your notes, Isaiah speaks of a long-awaited Savior. He speaks of this long-awaited Savior. Isaiah's name even means God saves. He reignites hope. Let's see how he does that. Isaiah chapter seven, verse one. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. It says, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So I want to put the map back up on the screen for you for just a minute. It helps to understand what's going on. Judah, where Isaiah is, is ruled by a wicked king named Ahaz. Ahaz is the king in our story today. He lives in the capital city of Jerusalem, and his nation of Judah is about to be invaded by Israel, just to the north, whose king is King Pekah, and Aram Damascus, you can see there on the upper right, whose king is King Rezin. That is what is going on. And so remember, King Ahaz is a king over a people who God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bless you and you'll be a blessing to all nations. We've got to remember they were God's chosen people, but I'm not sure it even crossed the king's mind to turn to God and ask him for protection. He could handle this on his own. And before we bash Ahaz, and he was a bad guy, he was a bad guy, how often do we try in our strategies to handle things on our own, right? I've got it. Reminds me of the proverbial guy not willing to ask for directions. He'll try everything he can before stopping to ask for directions. And unfortunately for me, this extends well beyond directions, I've experienced this in my parenting, right? I'll try everything in my toolbox of parenting before I turn to the Lord. Or I'll deal with my anger, my frustration, or my hurt myself rather than asking God to give me peace, wisdom, patience, or healing. Ahaz's motto and my motto sometimes is, I've got it. I've got it. We'll return to this in a few minutes, but I want you to begin thinking about areas in your life where you forget to turn to the Lord first. We all have them. What what are they? Where do you forget to turn to the Lord first? Because trying to handle things in our own power drains hope, and it drains it quickly. So Ahaz and Judah are about to be invaded, and God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz and to the nation of Judah. And in verses four to six, you can follow in your Bibles, Isaiah says, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. 
Do not lose heart because these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. So, so basically what God is saying in these verses is Ahaz, calm down, be quiet, don't be afraid. This is the 8th century BC equivalent of the British wartime poster, keep calm and carry on. You probably didn't know that straight from the Bible. (laughs) Ahaz, calm down, be quiet, don't be afraid. And in verse 7, we find out why God was telling Ahaz to calm down. We read, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen. As plain as can be, God tells Ahaz, this isn't going to happen. You're not going to be invaded. God had always kept his word to his people. We can read about this in the Old Testament. God's word is true and his promises are sure, and Ahaz doesn't believe it. And at the end of this assurance of the nation's survival, God speaks a word of warning to Ahaz in verse 9. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. In other words, trust in God and everything will be all right or trust in yourself and see how it goes. And here's a hint, it's gonna go badly. Through Isaiah, God is giving Ahaz hope and a way out and Ahaz doesn't want it and he doesn't believe it because he's got it. Perhaps Isaiah can see that Ahaz is uncertain. And so he says, let God reassure you. Let him give you a sign and maybe that'll help you trust him. And in verses 10 and 11 and 12, we read, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. And in verse 12, we read, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And when we read that, it almost sounds like Ahaz is doing the right thing, right? We're we're not supposed to test God. I'm not gonna put God to the test. The Bible tells us that and it instructs us not to test God. But when God himself tells you to ask for a sign, you obey. And what's happening here is Ahaz is saying this, thanks, but no thanks. I'm gonna look for help elsewhere. I'm gonna deal with my problems on my own. I've got it. I've got it. And history tells us this is exactly what happened. Ahaz made a partnership with their enemies, the Assyrians, that led to terrible consequences. So Isaiah rebukes the stubbornness and the faithlessness of Ahab and the entire nation of Judah. And in verse 13, you can follow in your Bibles, we read, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. He's speaking to the whole nation of Judah. Another name for Judah is house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? And it's here, right in this moment where Ahaz doesn't believe that Isaiah spoke one of the most famous prophecies in the Old Testament. And he begins with the word, therefore, drawing a conclusion to this whole interaction. Because of your faithlessness, Ahaz. And then would you read this with me in the first gray box on your notes? It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. It's a Hebrew name that occurs twice in the Old Testament, both times in Isaiah, both in prophecies concerning the Messiah or God's anointed one in Greek in the New Testament, that name is the Christ. If you're following in your notes, Emmanuel, in Hebrew, it's one word. In English, it's three words. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And prophecy sometimes has an immediate fulfillment and a future fulfillment. And there was most likely an immediate fulfillment to this prophecy that happened during the lifetime of King Ahaz. And if Ahaz had turned to the Lord, this prophecy would have provided hope that God was with him. But catch this, instead of hope, it seems because the word therefore is used, that the prophecy is a judgment against Ahaz. It's a prophecy of judgment, and you wonder what different decisions Ahaz would have made if he really believed God was with him. It makes me wonder how I would live differently if I believed in all situations that God was with me. Less fear, more courage, less giving in to temptation, more obedience. There was an immediate fulfillment to this prophecy and it was judgment against Ahaz. But the future certain fulfillment of this prophecy was realized 700 years later in the birth of another baby to a virgin who would call her baby Emmanuel, God with us. So I want to invite you to flip your Bibles over to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. That is such a great sound to hear God's word being opened and pages turned. Matthew chapter one. We're gonna pick up in verses 18 to 25. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then would you read this in the second gray box in your notes? She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. The prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled completely 700 years after being spoken. And this prophecy was fulfilled with the birth of a baby named Jesus 
who is God with us. And catch this, listen, instead of this prophecy being a prophecy of judgment given to a faithless Ahaz, it is a prophecy of hope and salvation given to a faithful man named Joseph. I wanna talk about two aspects of this prophecy and the hope they reveal. In both Isaiah and Matthew, it says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we just need to hit the brakes right there. Virgin conception, virgin birth. In Matthew chapter one, verse 18, we get a bit more detail of how this pregnancy happened. And we're told that she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you ever do this when you're reading the Bible, but I like to put myself in the story. And can you even imagine the conversation that took place between Mary and Joseph before Joseph had the dream? Uh, Hey, Joe, uh, I'm pregnant and there's no other guy and the baby growing inside me, wait for it, it's from the Holy Spirit. We know from what we just read that Joseph didn't believe this. He didn't believe it. He was ready to break off the wedding in the most honorable way he could that would not lead to shame or death for Mary. Joseph, say stand up guy. There are a number of people today who question the validity of the virgin conception or they question whether it matters. And and I just wanna say we believe here along with thousands of years of church history that there was a virgin birth. Personally, I believe if God can create the universe with the spoken word, and if he can raise people from the dead, then he can perform a miracle like the virgin conception. Nothing is impossible for God. And we're told the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. But let's go just a little bit deeper here because what's going on is important and it's fascinating and it provides so much hope. If you're following in your notes, the virgin birth reveals the work of the Holy Spirit. It reveals the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me tie just a couple things together to show us how the Holy Spirit has always been at work. In Genesis chapter one, verse two, we read these words. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. And that same Holy Spirit is present and active in the birth story of Jesus. If we look at Matthew chapter one, verse one, we see the words, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Fascinating that the word genealogy in Greek is genesis or genesis. The genesis of Jesus. Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament is about creation and how it all went wrong. And Matthew, the first book in the New Testament is all about the recreation of the world and how one day God will all put it back together again, beginning with a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit. What Matthew is saying in the same way that the Spirit hovered over the waters at creation, the same Spirit hovered over Mary's womb in recreation. If you're following in your notes, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God with us, steps in to recreate broken humanity. The story of Christmas is not that humanity is reaching toward God. 
The story of Christmas is that God is reaching toward humanity. God longs to be with us, longs to be with us. I love how a pastor in New York City, Tim Keller, summarizes all of this when he writes, the simple meaning of Christmas is the creator king of the universe has become a human being. That's the message of Christmas. Everything else is secondary. And that's why we practice Advent to keep our eyes focused on the main thing. The virgin birth reveals the work of the Holy Spirit to recreate a broken world. And if you're following in your notes, the name of this baby reveals his mission. It reveals his mission. There might be some confusion because we read in verse 21 that Joseph is to name the baby Jesus. And then in verse 23, they are to call him Emmanuel. And to clear up any confusion, this name Emmanuel that is repeated in Isaiah and Matthew, it's not a personal name. It describes Jesus' role in bringing God's physical presence to people. We see that Joseph is to name the baby Jesus, but he's to be called Emmanuel. And here's a way I think that helps us think about this in modern day terms. Several sports have identified specific players as their goat, right? Greatest of all time, right? You have Simone Biles. You have Michael Jordan, not LeBron James. You have Tom Brady. Goat is not their proper name that's been given to them by their parents. Instead, it's more of a descriptive title or a role they play. And I think that's what's going on here with Jesus and Emmanuel. His name is Jesus. But as we read the scriptures, we find out that Jesus is God and therefore God with us. And the name and the role go together in a significant way. So let me explain that. In Matthew 1.21, we see that Joseph is to name the baby Jesus, if you're following in your notes, which means God saves because he will save people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves or God saves. And the role this baby played was to be Emmanuel, God with us in order to fulfill God's desire to be with his people. I would contend this is one of the major themes of the entire Bible. If you're following in your notes, God has always desired to be with us. He's longed for this from the beginning, from the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis to the closing pages of the Bible in Revelation. God wants to be with his people. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and their relationship with God was broken, there was no way they could earn it back on their own. We're just like Adam and Eve. We've all sinned and need to be made right with God again. So to rescue a people who could not rescue themselves, to restore the broken relationship, to restore broken humanity, to be with us, God sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's impossible to talk about the birth of this baby without talking about his death because he was born to die. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact, if you're following in your notes, that fulfilling God's desire to be with us is why Jesus went to the cross? Right, yeah, the cross is where sin is forgiven. The cross is where sin and death are defeated, but if we peel that back, the reason we're forgiven and rescued from sin and death is because God longs to be with 
his children. On the cross, Jesus took the penalty for our sin. He died our death. And now with the barrier of sin and death removed by Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection, the way has opened for us to be reconciled with God again, to be with him again now and forever. All that remains is we we trust in what Jesus has done. I mean, you probably all have heard this phrase, right? He is the reason for the season. We've all heard that. It's absolutely true. But I wonder if you've ever thought about this, could it be that God would say, you're the reason for the season? God's desire has always been to be with his people and that's why he sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. If you're a follower of Jesus, wherever you find yourself as this Advent season begins, God is with you. In your darkest moments, God is with you. In your highest moments, God is with you. Through his Holy Spirit that lives in you, God is with you. And the truth that God is with us provides hope because our experiences tell us a different story. For some of you here today, it's hard to imagine that God is with you. Some of you feel like God is against you. Life has not played out the way you thought it would or you wanted it to, and you've been filled with disappointment and grief. This past year has brought crisis upon crisis and setback after setback, and you conclude that God is not with you. You may even think he's against you or apart from you or he doesn't care about you or he's indifferent towards you. It's hard to believe that God is with you. But Christmas reminds us of a different narrative. God is with us. And if Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel, then it changes everything. However hopeless your situation is, Jesus brings hope. And it may not solve all your problems, but you can have a settled assurance, a quiet confidence, and a peace that you're not alone and everything will be okay. Many of you know uh, missionaries that we support, Greg and Vicki Syverson and their boys, Matthew and Benjamin. Some of you know that uh, Vicki was having pain in her leg to the point where she couldn't even walk anymore. So she came to Chicago for treatment. She was laying in bed one night and rolled over and her leg snapped. And they found that she had a tumor on her femur. And so now not only is she dealing with a broken leg and the pain that comes with that, she's going through chemotherapy and radiation treatments. And I saw her post last week around Thanksgiving, thanking people for their prayers because it's through their prayers that she could sense that God was with her. And so I, I WhatsApped Vicki and I said, can you tell me why you can say that? What, what does God with you mean? These are her words. I've, I've really had to rely on my faith that God is with me. I've read over his promises from his word that he is with me, he is healing me, he's restoring me, he's protecting me, he's providing for me. It has had to be his promises that sustain me and not my feelings. My hope is in God alone and his promises are what help me keep that hope even when my feelings and circumstances don't seem to be filled with hope. Emmanuel, God with us, 
is a promise. So let me ask you, the last line on your notes, where do I need to be reminded of the hope that God is with me? Where do I need to be reminded? We all have places. Where have you tried to handle things on your own? Where have you said, I've got it? I've got it. I'll turn to you, God, later if I need you. Where do you need to be reminded of the hope that God is with me? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then thank you for being here today. I want you to hear God say this to you. You are the reason I stepped into this mess. You are the reason I came at the first advent as a helpless baby. You are the reason I died. I want to be with you and there's nothing you have done in your life that is beyond the forgiving and saving hand of Jesus. And I'm praying for you, friend. I pray this prophecy can be a prophecy of salvation for you rather than a prophecy of judgment like it was for Ahaz. So today, I wanna invite you to follow Jesus, to surrender to him. And instead of looking to yourself and the world for answers and finding darkness, you look to Jesus and see a great light. And for the first time you realize that God is with you. I'm praying for you today. So we're gonna give you just a moment, a minute or two, as we slow down in this Advent season and we reflect, I wanna encourage you to spend time with God. Ask him what you need to hear. Where do you need to be reminded of the hope that God is with you? And if this is the day you wanna follow Jesus, then tell him that. I don't wanna do this on my own. I need you. Take this time. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.